It's Wednesday, October 4th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynes, a, a new era of Guardians baseball has begun. Uh, Terry Francona officially stepping aside as manager. Uh, I, I don't think it came as a, a, a huge surprise to, to anybody, though, that uh, in the future, in some capacity, in some role that is yet to be determined, at a time frame that's yet to be determined, uh, Terry Francona is going to continue with the organization in some capacity. Uh, he's going to have a role with the with the Guardians. Uh, were you surprised to find that out? No, not at all, Joe. Just like you said, uh, I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. Usually, even when a manager gets fired, you know, uh, it's kind of shoved out the back door. You know, the uh, the team always says he's been offered a, a position in the uh, organization and the guy never takes it. But in this case, you know, I think Tito uh, and the Guardians, how they parted company, you know, on such good terms, uh, you know, that was a that was a foregone conclusion that he'll, you know, be a special assistant to baseball operations, special assistant to uh, GM Mike um, uh, Cherney or uh, or, you know, to uh to Chris Antonetti so no I wasn't surprised at all I'd, I'll be surprised you know just how serious Tito takes a job because he's got a lot in front of him right now yeah I, I think the priorities for Tito right now are are you know get done with what he needs to get done surgically uh get healthy uh get home and and really uh to hear him talking about uh you know what the next few months and the next maybe calendar year is going to entail you know, finding out what it's like to be off on a Sunday afternoon in July where he can, you know, walk down a city street and see people sitting in a coffee shop and think, boy, I don't have to be at batting practice at, you know, 10 a.m. or, you know, uh, have the, you know, watch the, the, the bullpen session or, or anything like that. Uh, for the last 40 years, his life has been so dictated by his baseball schedule that now he's going to get to, you know, discover what it's like to be a, a, a regular Joe. Yeah, definitely. You know, you know, when you're, when you're tied to a major league team, you live by the schedule and he was so regimented, Joe, I know he jokes about his personal life, but you know, I mean, he was always on time for press conferences, even early at times, you know, uh, you know, so he was, he was so punctual in everything he did that I think he's going to enjoy this. I think he's going to enjoy, you know, not having, uh, you know, the clock ticking in his head that he can uh, take a deep breath now and then. I like what he said. Uh, some of his buddies always go on a golfing trip during the summer to Ireland, and he he said he just might do that this this coming summer. As long as the surgeries go okay, he's able to swing the club. That seems like, uh, you know, something that he was looking forward to. Oh, oh God, I would love to have a camera crew there just to record <laughs> what would happen. A, on that trip, I'm sure the, the stories are, are are incredible, but the first time Tito walks into an Irish pub and, <laughs> and, and some old Irish dude at a bar like gives him hell over something, I would just love to be there and witness it. It would be amazing, uh, the, the back and forth, but, but you're right, uh, you know, uh, it, what struck me was one of the things that he said there at that press conference. Usually you get the uh, the good, happy, cheery introductory press conference, and it's the second press conference that uh, 
that is the the unpleasant one, the uh, the, the departing one. Uh, but this wasn't the case, like you said. Uh, you know, 12 years ago, uh, they are they they introduced Tito as the as the new manager, and you know, fast forward more than a decade, and you're you're sort of sending them away with a a pat on the back, exactly the way that uh, you know he, everybody sort of wanted and had envisioned. Uh, I like that the the club puts out this uh, this sheet that has like all of his rankings and and all of his accomplishments uh, in his his major league career as a manager and his Cleveland career as a manager. Uh, it, it it it's it's sort of succinct and and puts everything all in in perspective for you. Uh, most managerial wins in club history nine hundred and twenty one, uh, more than Lou Boudreau uh, seven twenty eight. Uh, pretty impressive. Uh, best major league records from 2013 when he first started with Cleveland to 2023. Uh, the Dodgers, Yankees, and Astros are the top three. Uh, Cleveland is fourth with 921 wins in that span. Uh, the Dodgers have 1,031 wins uh, in that time. Most seasons qualifying for the playoffs from 2013 to 2023. Uh, Cleveland tied with the Rays uh, with six. Uh, the Dodgers, Astros, Yankees, Cardinals, and Braves all have more. Uh, most managerial wins in that time, uh, Terry Francona's 921 is more than Bob Melvin's 883, Joe Madden's 770, and Dave Roberts 753. Uh, so he has the most managerial wins uh, in that 11-season uh, span. Uh, and, and just uh, his rank on the all-time list, I think I've said this before, uh, all-time managerial wins, Terry Francona is 13 with nine, uh, 1,950 total wins. Uh, the the 12 guys in front of him are all in the Hall of Fame right now, uh, except for Bruce, Bruce Bochy and Dusty Baker, uh, both of whom are pretty much locks anyways. So, yeah, and, and, and just the last note here, uh, most consecutive winning seasons in Major League history. Uh, Joe McCarthy, 24, Sparky Anderson, 17, but right behind Sparky Anderson, Terry Francona with 16, tied with Earl Weaver. Uh, you're talking Sparky Anderson, Earl Weaver, Joe McCarthy. These are these are legendary managers. These are icons in the sport. And, and Terry Francona is certainly one of them. Yeah, th that's well put, Joe. You know, the thing the thing that I love about this, this whole situation, you know, how many managers have we seen fired in Cleveland or anywhere else? You know, the well, old Hoyt, saying you, is you've seen more than most, I yeah, think. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. And, you know, the old saying is managers are hired to be fired. They're not hired uh, to uh, get a hero's welcome you know, a hero send off, you know, like uh, Frank Conner received like last Wednesday. You know, in his last home game, you know, it was like uh, the president, uh, you know, was was after four great years in, in the White House, he was leaving. You know, it was like, you know, it was just uh, there's so much pomp and circumstance. And it was like uh, it was just such a cool vibe. And you never see that. I can't remember who, who well, the you know, did Joe Torre get that in at Yankee Stadium? I don't well, think, think so. I mean. But think ju just last week uh, on the last day of the season when Bo Buck Showalter said that he wasn't coming back as the, the Mets manager, they, they sort of did that. They, they had everybody on the team and everybody in the organization came out on the field to sort of send him off. But that was he was being fired. He was being let go. It wasn't like he, he chose to do that. So, yeah, yeah. he got us. He got a send off. But it was 
it was in a negative sort of light. This is this is Tito getting pretty much this is the brass ring. This is what every manager manages his career for is to, to, to ride off into the sunset on his own terms and do it his way. And that's exactly what Tito got. Yeah. And, you know, that did happen in Boston where he had who God love him. I mean, he had the greatest run ever as a Boston manager. I think two World Series. You know, you break the uh, the Babe Ruth, the curse of the Bambino, and he and he gets run out of town there. But it didn't happen in Cleveland, which which says a lot about Cleveland, and it says a lot about even more about uh, Terry Francona. Yeah, the the phrase that he used was eleven years of good, and and that's uh, it's mutual. It's both ways. I think uh, with Tito with the organization with the fans, with the media, with, with everybody. Uh, nobody's going to have enough good things to say about him. Uh, the, the biggest news, I think, uh, and stop me if I'm wrong, but the, the biggest development yesterday uh, that we sort of found out from Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff was the, the fact that you've got this list of 40 candidates, 40-plus 40 uh, candidates. They've already started interviewing some. Uh, but the one guy who I think many Guardians fans are really pulling for or even expecting to see become the next manager, uh, Sandy Alomar, who's been with the organization forever. Uh, he declined to be interviewed for the managerial position. However, the, the, the club expects him to be back as a part of the, uh, the next manager's coaching staff uh, in a similar, if not the same role as he's been for the last several years. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Sandy just ended his 14th year as a Cleveland coach. I think he's like one of those uh, pillars on the Bobo Bridge, Joe. You know, he's <laughs> not going anywhere. anywhere. I mean, whoever uh, gets the manager's job is going to in- inherit uh, Alomar and, uh, you know, he'll be he'll be he'll be the better for it. Uh, Sandy's, you know, God, he's you know, he his roots are in Cleveland. You know, I don't you know, I always thought you know, there was always something in the back of my mind that said perhaps Sandy doesn't want to manage, you know, uh, you know, perhaps uh, maybe he doesn't want to follow Tito. I, I'm not sure. I don't <laughs> think that's it. But uh, but, I, you know, I think, you know, he had his fill of managing in 2020. I think he's happy with what he's doing, um, you know, and uh, just he does a great job at first base, does a great job with the base running and and does a great job with the, with Cleveland's catchers. Uh, I think he's happy and uh, he's uh, at peace with that, obviously, because I think he would have been, you know, uh, um, you know, really high up on the list to be considered to be the next manager. He would have to be. Yeah, he would certainly have the the clubhouse right now in terms of uh, you know the, the attention of the the young guys and and the players in the clubhouse. He he would command that respect uh, absolutely. Uh, but but I don't blame uh, Sandy for for being uh, comfortable in the role that he's in. Uh, he's there's no question. Uh, we've heard him described as a cheat code over at first base when there are uh, base runners on in terms of. Uh, timing up a pitcher, knowing his moves, when to go. I think uh, Josh Naylor is is a believer in the gospel of Sandy Alomar as <laughs> as your first base coach, because that guy is willing to run at any time, even when you don't expect him to. Uh, based on what Sandy says, I think Sandy just says, uh, "Hey, you can get this guy. Let's go." And and even Josh Naylor, you know, uh, mechanical foot and all, uh, are out there running uh, at, at at all times. 
Uh, and and you you still you want to keep Sandy around maybe just for the development of guys like Bo Naylor and uh, David Fry. Uh, you're talking about one of the the best to ever do it at the catching position uh, in Sandy Alomar. Uh, I think you need him in this organization. Uh, you need guys like uh, Mike Sarbaugh and and maybe even Carl Willis too. Uh, but uh, Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff both sort of said the right things. Uh, you know, they want to keep things open-ended and, and open-minded for, uh, you know, they don't want to put anything in front of a, f- a future potential manager who takes the job. Uh, they don't want to force anybody on him, but they do have a, a, a group of guys here uh, that this coaching staff is is one where anybody could really just sort of walk in and, and, and hit the ground running with these guys around him. Uh, obviously a new manager wants to put his stamp or wants to, to bring his guys and, and be surrounded by, by that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I, I would expect, uh, a good chunk of this, uh, this coaching staff to, to be able to return at some point. Yeah, you know, definitely Joe, it, it all, it all depends who the, who the new manager is, how much, uh, you know, pull he's got, but you know, a guy like Chris Valeka, you know, you brought him in last year to kind of you know, uh, retool the, the hitting program. Do you start all over again? But I would think, you know, that's a good guy to bring back. Uh, you know, and like, you know, with, with Sandy, I mean, one, one thing I forgot to say, you know, he, he's a link with the past. He's a link with those great 1990s teams. And you need a guy like that that mm-hmm. can tell you how, can to tell new players how, how it was before, what it takes to win. And, uh, you know, Carl Willis, what this is his second tenure. As uh, as uh, Cleveland's pitching coach, you know he's 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 coached like you know Cy Young winners Sabathia Lee Hernandez Purcello Bieber. You know he's been their coach. I mean it doesn't get much better than that. So uh, I I would think he'd get serious consideration. Yeah, you talk about Alomar linking uh, to the past. Uh, I mean when you say something like that, uh, what pops into my mind is the image of Mel Harder on the on the mound in the while the the ballpark was being constructed and Sandy Alomar behind the area where home plate would eventually become, uh, you know, crouched down and catching that first pitch uh, in sort of a a made for the media opportunity there. Uh, But, you know, you talk about a guy who's been there from the ground up since that that ballpark has been around. Uh, I think it's important to have that connection as as well. Uh, you mentioned Chris Valleca. Uh Will he be a managerial candidate for uh, you know an, an interview with other um, uh, you know clubs as well? Do you think that's a possibility? That's a possibility. He might be a, a candidate here, Joe, because they are, they are talking to internal candidates, uh, you know, external candidates. What the the, uh, the you know uh, Chernoff and Antonetti told us uh, what they have a list of forty to forty five candidates. It sounds like this is going to you know take a while to uh, sort through, but you know I wouldn't be surprised at anything really at anyone in, in that co- um, uh, among Cleveland's coaching staff that interviews for the manager's job. I, I don't, Carl Willis, I don't think he wants the manager's job. I think he's happy being the pitching coach. Yeah. And if you're Carl Willis, you've got a, a young group of, of really good pitchers coming back next year. I, I think it's, it's an attractive position to want to want to remain in if that's the, if that's possible. Uh, I, you, you look at uh, some of the other ideas and, and things that popped out of uh uh, that meeting yesterday with Chris uh, Antonetti and Mike Chernoff, a uh, lot of 
you know, they talked about the, the interview process. There was uh, the uh, the, man, uh, the the bullpen coach from uh, the Giants that we talked about, uh, Craig Albernaz. Uh, he was reportedly one of the, the candidates who's already interviewed, uh, wondering if they're going to interview Kai Correa for the uh, the job as well. Uh, the bench coach in San Francisco. But, uh, you know, we asked if if right now is a time when you sort of have an, a sense of urgency about uh, lining up some of these interviews and maybe getting a guy in, in place uh, while the playoffs are going on, uh, because there's certain to be some managerial openings coming up as teams fall off from the playoffs and uh, ownerships uh, across the league that have guys in the postseason, uh, you know, look to go in different directions. You know, maybe if if Dusty Baker wins another World Series, you know, he might step away and there's an opening in Houston and, and who wouldn't want that job. So, you know, hiring somebody uh, as soon as possible might be a, a good uh, avenue to approach. Yeah, usually, uh, you know, when you're hiring a new manager, you like to have the manager in place, um, you know, by at least, preferably by the GM meetings, which are, you know, the first week of November. Or, you know, by the latest, by the winter meetings, you know, in, which is early in early December. So they've got a month, a month and a, you know, and a half so to uh, to work at this. And I think, Joe, like we've said before, they've had a head start. They've been doing this mm-hmm. since August when Tito, you know, gave him the green light to uh, start putting together lists, start calling teams to get permission to talk to people. That's why, you know, they've already conducted some interviews. So uh, I think they're ahead of, you know, teams like the Angels and probably the Mets, you know, that that are looking for managers. I think there's another team out there looking for a manager as well. Yeah, the Giants. So uh, they're probably ahead of the maybe ahead of the curve a little bit. Maybe they've zeroed in on, you know, 5, 10, 15 people that they really want to kind of, you know, do their homework on. But uh, so, you know, I would expect this to, uh, you know, in the next three to four weeks, we're probably going to find out who the next manager is. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you is don't leave the house without my laptop, because uh, yeah. any minute the, uh, <laughs> it's 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 like the trade uh, tr- uh, trade deadline all over again. I can never be more than arm's uh, length away from my uh, my computer uh, just in case the news breaks. But uh uh, speaking of which, if you're listening uh, and you're not subscribed to Subtext, uh, that's the the first place where you would hear any details or any uh, news that we find out about uh, Cleveland's managerial search. Uh, big offseason, uh, full of changes and moves for the Guardians. You want to sign up for cleveland.com slash subtext. Uh, it's $3.99 a month to get text updates from myself and Hoinsey. And, and really, we also give you sort of our insight and our uh, um, our opinions on what uh, should and can and, and might happen with some of these moves. Uh, a lot of fun uh, to go back and forth with some of you guys. Uh, 216-208-4346. Send a text message to that number or go on to cleveland.com slash subtext and subscribe that way. Uh, we'd love to hear from you as uh, members of our subtext community. Uh, Hoinsey, so uh, one of the things that uh, we sort of focused our conversation with uh, Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff uh, on yesterday was this idea of uh, the the ones that got away, the uh, the trades in the offseason that, uh, that were made that uh, uh, sent Nolan Jones, Will Benson, uh, and, and in years past, uh, Yanir Diaz and Junior Caminero. Uh, these are the four big ones, the four names of you look out there uh, at, at young talent in, in Major League Baseball, 
that was fostered by the Guardians, uh, fostered by Cleveland's organization, uh, and is now producing and being productive at a high level for uh, other clubs. Uh, Antonetti was not shy about labeling these as uh, some of these as bad trades, particularly the Junior Caminero trade. Uh, this is a guy who is the number, what, six prospect in all of Major League Baseball. The the Rays just called him up at the end of the season, uh, and, and he, uh, you know, got an at-bat in yesterday's game uh, for Tampa Bay. Uh, how big of a miss were some of these trades, and, and how much does, does this hurt uh, the, the Guardians moving forward? Yeah, you know, Nolan Jones just wrapped up a, you know, really strong year uh, for the for the Rockies. Uh, you know, uh, Will Benson had a respectable year for the Reds. Jan Ardias, Joe, I mean, he had a great year for Houston. Look at his numbers. You know, mm-hmm. what, 20, over 20 homers, I, I believe. 20, 23, to, home, 23 home runs, 60 RBIs, and he hit 280. I mean, you know, okay, you, you have Bo Naylor, but what's wrong with having Diaz as his backup or playing first base or moving Naylor to third base? or You know, I mean, that's a huge piece. And, you you know, you gave him up as a minor leaguer for for a mile straw. Uh, right. Campanero, just uh, like you said, could be the number one minor league prospect in all of baseball. And, uh, you know, Antonetti, for the first time ever, Joe, he just said, said, uh, answered the question. Just, that was just a bad trade. We missed on that. You know, I mean, uh, I've never, I've never, Joe, I've covered him a long time, just like you. I've never heard him talk like that. Well, and, as, uh, as soon as, as soon as Caminero's name was brought up, you, you could see him sort of shift in his seat. He got uncomfortable. He, he knows that, that that's it. And I think one of the, the things that, uh, really stood out to me, uh, Chernoff and Antonetti both keep a list of bad trades like that. They said they have a document that they, they sort of, uh, add to it, you know, for every, every one or two, you know, really good trade that, that they make, uh, there's, there's always a, a stinker and, you know, uh, these were certainly a few of them. Yeah. And, you know, it makes it stand out even worse when, you know, your club finishes 27th in the big leagues and runs scored, you know, you played countless one run games that you come out on the the word you know on the bottom end of you put so much strain on a bullpen that you know starts blowing you know leaking oil at the end of the season uh it just you know it's a, it's a domino effect and you, and okay if you make a bunch of trades and they have you know you're going to make some good ones you're going to make some medium ones and you're going to make some bad ones but when the bad ones start out outnumbering the good ones, you know, that's when it, it hurts. And especially it hurts, you know, an organization like Cleveland that depends on, you know, their farm system, their drafting and the ability to make smart trades. Well, and, and I saw it written, you know, that, you know, did this 2023 Guardians team, you know, pay for the sins of, uh, you know, of, of 2022 when you had 17 guys make their major league debut and you were turning that roster over, it, it, even the 40 man uh, roster had, had multiple moving pieces uh, because you had to call up uh, or you had to you know put 11 guys on that roster in 2021 in November. Uh, and, and you made it so that there had to be so many moving pieces that you didn't really have time to evaluate or, or predict which what was going to happen with some of these guys. I mean, you're talking about your number one and number two pick from that 2016 draft. That 2016 draft had already produced, you know, three, four major league pitchers that were, you know, lights out. Shane Bieber, Aaron Savali, Zach Plesac, uh, they all had their their moments and, and continue to have their moments. Uh, but 
the the first two guys that you picked in that draft uh, could have been uh, your your left and right fielders uh, <laughs> for for a while. It, it's it's just amazing to me uh, that neither one of them are are in the organization and they're both producing at the at the level that you expected them to. Yeah, and those were what Benson and Nolan Jones, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the one thing, Joe, they were both high school kids. You know, uh, Benson took a long time to develop. I mean, this guy, they left him off the 40-man roster for two straight years. No one touched him. No other team touched him. You know, they finally had to commit to him and bring him up and keep him on the big league club for uh, a couple of years ago. But at the end, you know, he was, he, you know, they decided, you know, they were going to move him and, uh and, uh, you know, the same with Nolan Jones. I'm still confused what happened there. I thought he didn't get much of a chance at the big league level. As, you know, ditto for Benson as well. But, you know, I just I don't know. And I thought it was a philosophical thing. You know, they're both left handed hitters, tall power hitters that don't make a lot of, you know, that have a lot of swing and miss in their game, but have power. They said that wasn't the case. That wasn't that had nothing to do with it. There wasn't a change in philosophy. It was just it was they were just trades. I mean, at least that's what I picked up from yesterday. Yeah, yeah, that's that's literally what they said, almost word for word. And you know, and they throw in there, oh, we liked Juan Brito uh, as well. Yeah. We think he's going to be a a productive major leaguer. Well, you've got four Juan Britos already. So uh, in already in the organization, what don't you like about them that you like more about uh, Juan Brito? So uh, yeah. I, I guess uh, there are still a lot of questions, but again, uh, you know, we see the, the the forward facing side of this. We see the we see what's going on in 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 terms of we don't see what's in the in the background and the reasons behind some of these moves. And, and maybe there, maybe, you know, there were uh, character issues or, you know, personality uh, conflicts or whatever that, that led to this. I just think, uh, you know, uh, a, a new manager coming in, you know, might really have appreciated having the the option to go to a uh, a Nolan Jones who can get on base for you and and drive the ball out of the park and oh by the way uh unexpectedly has the strongest throwing arm in all of baseball in the outfield uh I I think uh it's uh it's something to to sort of put in your back pocket and think about as we move forward in this new era of of Guardians baseball uh, all right, Hoinsey, that's going to wrap up today's edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. We've got plenty to talk about this offseason. We've got the playoffs and, uh, you know, the, the wild card series still going on. Uh, maybe some of them will be wrapped up by the time we talk again tomorrow. Uh, and uh, just a, a whole lot of fun ahead of us uh, as we sort of wade through this this managerial search. Looking forward to uh, a fun, productive offseason and, uh, and keeping our laptops uh, with us at all times. Uh, Hoinsey, we'll talk to you again tomorrow. All right, Joe.